Well, good morning. <laughs> I am happy to be up here. And I, you know what? I love that we have all these new videos out today because I love that people can see different faces of people who are vitally involved in what we're doing here at Hillcrest and all the good things that are going on. So many things are happening uh, just at the tail end of February here, like our annual meeting, and then things coming up in March. And um, so there's a lot of life happening in this church, and there's a lot of leaders who, uh, and I'm glad for all the things that they are promoting. But next time, I will make sure I pay better attention to the order of the service, so <laughs> I know when I'm supposed to come up. Oh, great. Well, I, in case you don't know, I'm Steve Atkins. I'm the lead pastor here at Hillcrest Church, and um, I have the privilege this morning of reading the scripture that goes, that I'm, that's our scripture reading for today. So, I'm going to start with Romans 12, 3 to 8. Romans 12, 3 to 8, and then later 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. So Romans 12, 3 to 8. For, the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field. In God's building. Amen. That's his word. Just a few things out of there. Every follower of Jesus is part of the body of Christ. Whether you engage a lot with the body of Christ around the world or even locally or not, you are part of the body of Christ. That, that's part of the package of becoming uh, Jesus' son or daughter is that you inherit the rest of his family. And we belong to each other. And we've been given different gifts to serve one another and to help each other grow and to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And we are co-workers with each other in God's service. So we're kicking off a brand new series today called Share the Work. It's three weeks long. It's, I'm speaking today about the topic of membership. In a week, Kurt is going to speak about uh, the topic of gifts. And then Daisy's going to wrap it up with serving or ministering as a team. So these are three um, important weeks that we have in front of us. But I get to talk about membership and um, just tell you a little bit about Hillcrest. At Hillcrest, we have 140 people, 140 adults, um, who are, uh, who've taken out membership at Hillcrest. We also have about 540 people who have um, indicated that this is their church home formally. You know, there's a green form you can fill out out of the information desk, and you just fill that out to say, hey, I'm here, this is my church home, I've settled down at Hillcrest, and, and I, I belong here, and that, and then, it, you know, we call them regular attenders, those people who say, yeah, this is my church home, and so there's about 540 of those, and half of them are adults, and the other half of them are youth and kids, and then there's a number more who haven't taken out membership or indicated that this is their church home, but, but they would say, this is my church home. My home church is, is Hillcrest. And there's a number more who've done that. They haven't made any formal declaration, other, but they, if you ask them, 
What church, which is your church? They'd say, oh, it's definitely Hillcrest. So if you add it up, you've got 140 members, another 540 who are indicated that they, that this is their church home, even though they aren't members. That gets us to 680. And then there's probably a few hundred more. So probably at the baseline, there's probably 700 people who call Hillcrest theirs, and it could be as high as 1,000. Those are guesstimates at the, at the top end there. So we've got lots of people who say, Hillcrest, that's my church. And I'm going to talk today a little bit about membership. So what, what about those 140, those 140 people? What have they signed on for? What, what's, what's, it, what's it all about? Well, when you talk about membership, and if this was, if we were some sort of, um, you know, company advertising for you to take out membership with you, well, then it would be all about the benefits, wouldn't it? Like, what, why would you sign up for Amazon Prime? You know, why would you, you know, get Netflix? Why would you, you know, there's different memberships. You, why would you get Apple Music? Why would you get these things? Well, because there are many benefits to those things. There are privileges that you have once you have those memberships. So what are the privileges of, of membership at Hillcrest? Well, the elders would probably say it, and the elders are really in charge of the membership. They would probably say it better than I would say it. But here's my take on it, and it's a fairly narrow take. There are no privileges. There are only responsibilities. I'm coming to believe this more and more. There are no privileges. There are only responsibilities. And the elders can push back when they do the membership class and say, no, no, it's, you know, we should say it nicer. But I don't think we're really looking to appeal to consumers like Apple or Google or some of those other companies are. I think we're inviting people to be contributors. And I think you have a great contribution to give. I mean, the scripture's full of declaring that again and again, that you have a contribution to make. Not just uh, on your own in this world, but in partnership with the body of Christ and specifically in partnership with the local church. And if you say this is your church home, then in partnership here at Hillcrest. So there's, there's only responsibilities. That's what I would say. Now you say, well, don't we get to vote on stuff? Isn't that what we just heard? Well, how do you view voting? My first election that I participated in as an adult was in 1991. I grew up in Manitoba, and in 1991, I was a second-year student at college. I was 19 years of age, and uh, there was a Saskatchewan provincial election. And I was excited until I found out I couldn't vote because my home base was Manitoba. And so um, I'm at Eston College, and I'm, I'm thinking about that, and I run into now... You'll have to, if you're the, part of the Francis family, you can double-check this story with Scott. But I run into Scott Francis at the school, because this is how I remember it, and I wonder how Scott would tell the story. I run into him, and I say, you know what, it's, I wish I could vote. It's the first time I'm eligible to vote, but I'm not at home in Manitoba where, you know, I could vote there, but I can't vote here. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of students here who aren't even bothering to vote. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And he's like, I agree. And then I think it was more Scott's idea than me. We said, let's round them up. And so we went through the campus and we just found, are you voting today? Are you from here? Can you vote today? You know, oh, yeah, I can vote, but I'm, I don't know who to vote for. Or I'm not going to vote. I don't know what to do. And so we rounded up a carload of these people who had no idea what they were doing. And we got them in the car and driving to the voting station... Like, first we convinced them, you got to vote. You get to vote. I don't even get to vote, but you get to vote. And then on the way, we tried to outline the platforms of three different parties as quick as we could on the way to the, so they could have some informed decision. And then we sort of corralled them towards the voting booth. It was fun. Because <laughs> when I, I viewed voting, like, you get to vote. Isn't this an amazing privilege? It's so wonderful. Well, and it is a privilege, but you know what? As the years have gone by, and I voted in many, many, many elections, I came to realize that it's not just that you get to vote. It's that when you make this, you are helping to make a decision on who's going to be the councillors or the mayors or the premiers or the prime ministers. And those outcomes have consequences, hopefully good ones, sometimes not so good ones. And so... You can look at it as a privilege, like, yee I get to vote. But after a while, you sort of go, oh, um, it's a responsibility. 
And you're not just going in there, well, I wonder, well, I'll just throw, randomly throw my X somewhere. But you hopefully have some informed process by which you think, I think this is the best for Moose Jaw or Saskatchewan or Canada when you vote. So, yes, you get to vote. But really, it's a serious responsibility. So membership at Hillcrest is a responsibility to speak into the leadership and direction of Hillcrest. And here are some of the things our membership are responsible for. They're responsible for voting on any changes to our church constitution. So that's sort of our, our foundational document, our guiding document. If we make any changes to that, it's pretty significant. They are responsible. Membership is, our members are responsible for that. They're also responsible for choosing the elders by nominating them and by voting. And, um, okay, so we have a, a board of elders, seven elders. They function as uh, governance directors, in our, but also they fun function as spiritual elders in the church. It's a pretty important role, and the memberships are responsible for who those people are, and um, that's really important. They're also responsible for choosing the lead pastor by voting, right? Seven years ago on March 8th, so that's coming up this next week, I became the lead pastor. But the vote happened in the fall before that happened. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed about Hillcrest through the years is we've always wanted as wide an engagement as we possibly can. And so when that day came um, to have that vote, they did something sort of out of the ordinary. They said, well, we're going to get the members to vote, but we're also going to allow the regular attenders to vote or anybody who shows up on that Sunday to vote, which is, was sort of new and novel idea. And it was sort of like, we want feedback from everybody on this really crucial decision. Now, what happened was the vote by the membership and the vote by the regular tenders ended up with like one percentage difference. They're basically the exact same amount. So it was, that was great. But you know, if it had ended differently, if one had said, yes, this guy should be our lead pastor, and one said no, the ones who were responsible for making the decision would have been what would have happened, right? The membership were responsible for making the decision. We did want the feedback of the regular attenders and anyone else who even showed up that morning. Maybe if they just came up off the street, first time to church, they got to vote on their pastor. But that part was more like a poll. The members were actually responsible. They had the responsibility to make that very important decision. Um, they're also, our members are responsible for speaking into the future of our church. And we hear from lots of people, and people give us lots of input, and it helps us shape, uh, you know, when I talk with people, when our team talks with people, when the feedback we get, it helps shape the way we go forward. But we formally ask, we think long and hard about what are the things we really need insight into? What do we need people's perspective into? What do we need wisdom? So what we do is every year we have this appreciative inquiry, and we say we're, we want to get this pool of people. Well, we want these pool of people to pool their wisdom together for us. What do they see? What do they discern? What is God speaking to them about? And then we gather all that and it helps inform, uh, the, it helps confirm sometimes the direction we're going. It also helps uh, spark new direction sometimes or new priorities. It's really important for us. And who's responsible for doing that? Our members are responsible for showing up at that appreciative inquiry and giving us insight and wisdom so that we can make the best decisions going forward. Now, again, I said Hillcrest loves getting feedback from, a wide, from, from as wide as we can. So you're welcome to come to the annual meeting if you're not a member. And you are welcome to participate. In fact, we'd love it if you'd come and participate in that one hour of the meeting we call the appreciative inquiry where we're going to ask those, cru those crucial questions that... Um, our board chair, Kevin Dotremont, was had up on the, uh, on the screen there. Because we want as much light as we can possibly get on the subjects that we're asking about. But you know, if you're not a member, it's totally up to you whether you come or not. You're not under any obligation to come. We'd love it if you would, but there's no obligation on you. I mean, if you're not a member. But if you are a member, we are depending on you. We expect you to come. We expect you to give us the insight and wisdom. That's the partnership that we have with our membership. Our members are a resource-filled 
pool of wisdom for the elders and for our staff. You know, a couple of things have come out, or many things have come out of those appreciative inquiries. I, I remember through the years, like, I remember it was through asking our people that we, we were looking for things that we could do in the areas of reaching people for Christ. And Alpha came out of, it was one of the strongest messages we got out of one of the meetings we had where people just said, I think this is something we could try. And it's been a real blessing in our church. Lots of people have, have gone through it. And we just keep trucking with it because we think it's one of the best tools. But that came from asking our people. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we were asking, what do you dream about for our future as a church? And one of the things that came up again and again at many of the tables was, we need a young adults ministry, because we didn't have one at that time. We need a young adults ministry. And so that became a, uh, you know, a really important priority. And we now have a great young adults ministry that's been growing this year. Um, Jordan and Laura Fair and Sam Michaela Stevenson are leading it. And it's Monday nights at 7 o'clock. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. But it came out of that uh, wisdom and even just what's the nudge of the Holy Spirit that he's doing in many hearts? That's a great uh, thing that helps us to set some direction going forward. So we depend on our membership to do that. So, so membership is, is a chance to, again, speak into the leadership and direction of the church. It's, it's not just a chance. It's a, it's a responsibility to do that. Um, I think about 1998, I was totally into, into Marnie. All my friends could tell. I was so Twitter-pated, they'd talk to me, but if Marnie was in the room, I couldn't hear them. My friends told me that. They said, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. Everything seems right in my world. Anyhow, but it wasn't until September 10th. I mean, everybody knew I was into her, and, and I, you know, I'll, I also sort of had a sense she was into me. But it wasn't until September 10th at the top of the ski hill at uh, the Canada Olympic Park where I asked her if she'd marry me. And she said yes, and I gave her an engagement ring, that we really got clarity. We really got clarity about our relationship. It became clear. And then after that, we couldn't wait to get on the phone and phone family and friends and saying, we're engaged. So if up until that point they say, well, that's sort of nice that those two are dating and that they're interested in each other and they like each other. But then it was like, no, our intention is to be married and to spend the rest of our lives together. And so I think membership in, in some ways is, is clarifying your commitment uh, to the church. And, so, and this is the language actually that Alan Buchanan chose when he wrote the materials that we still use many of his materials that he wrote for our membership class. He said that membership is an opportunity to clarify your commitment to Christ, his church, and to our local church of Hillcrest. Let me say that again. Membership is an opportunity to clarify your commitment to Christ, his church, and our local church of Hillcrest. And that's what we do whenever we have a membership class, is we say, you know, tell us about you. Tell us about your experience here, and tell us about, and then we talk about the church as well, and then it's a chance for people to say, I want to be a member. I want to formally clarify my commitment. And I would say, first, it's a commitment to the family of Hillcrest. First, it's a commitment to the family of Hillcrest. And then secondly, it's a commitment to the mission of Hillcrest. Um, Let me talk about the mission part of things. So membership is a chance to clarify your commitment to the family of Hillcrest, but it's also a chance to clarify your commitment to the mission of Hillcrest. So this is fun. So members and non-members, all the same. Let's see if we can do this. What's our, our mission statement? Let's see if we can do it together, okay? You ready? Here we go. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. Hey, you did so good, but I bet you can do even better the second time around. Let's try it again. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. Wow, you guys are awesome, awesome, awesome in how you guys are able to say that. So that's our mission statement. 
And um, our mission statement is really just a reflection of the mission that God has been on through almost the entire Bible. You know, there's only two chapters at the beginning and two chapters at the end of the Bible that aren't God on a mission. Like once you hit chapter 3 and it all falls apart with Adam and Eve and the apple and all that stuff and sin coming into the world and not failing to trust God and going their own way and all the devastation. Once you hit chapter 3 of, of, of Genesis, God is on a mission all the way, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all the way through uh, his death and resurrection and his, his apostles and, and those leaders and the new church and and to Revelation chapter 20. He's on a mission all that way. And then you got two chapters at the end, Revelation 20 and 21, that describes sort of the fulfillment of the mission. But the whole rest of the, the, whole rest of the story of the Bible is just God on a mission to rescue people from how sin has separated us from God and sin has enslaved us to living for ourselves or for living apart from God. So, the whole thing is God's on a rescue plan. God's putting a rescue plan together. The interesting thing is that at the very beginning, so you have Genesis 3, God initiates his rescue plan. He's, he, he says, even when, he's, even when he's bringing a discipline or a, or a punishment to Adam and Eve for the way that they uh, rejected him, he's bringing the consequences. He gives hope in that. He says, there's one coming. And he says this to the snake. He says, there's one coming, and, and you'll, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. And it's a foreshadowing of Jesus. And then a little while later, you get to about Genesis chapter 12. And that's where um, God has chosen this guy called Abraham. And this is what he says to Abraham. He says in Genesis 12, 2 to 3, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is on a mission, of a rescue mission throughout the entire Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. But early on in the process at Genesis 12, we realize that he is not just doing this alone. He is partnering with people. He's inviting us. In fact, he invites Abraham into the rescue plan. So God's on a mission with his people or through his people to rescue all humanity. And I love what he says. He says, I'll bless you. That's a great thing for Abraham to hear. I'll bless you. But then he says, you will be a blessing. It's not just that we'll be blessed. It's that we'll be a channel for blessing. The people of God would be a channel for blessing. And all the peoples in the world will be blessed through you. And this again, just like the word to Adam and Eve, is speaking about Jesus. The blessing to come. It's not just that Blessing in all the different ways you can be blessed, financially, relationally, um, emotionally, whatever, the different ways you can be blessed, even though we're all into that and believe in that and want that for every person in Moose Jaw, every person we know. The greatest blessing anyone can have is to have Jesus in their life, to have a relationship with Jesus and to have the relationship with God that you can have because of Jesus. Because he's taken our sins on the cross offers forgiveness, offers to start to do that transformation work in our lives, away from living for self towards living for God. So we're called to be God's uh, partners in mission. He's on mission with us, through us, and we are channels of blessing to the world. In Matthew uh, 28, 19, and 20, it says this, Therefore go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So we are God's people on mission to bring his blessing to all the people, all the people of the world. That's why our, our mission statement says that. We strive to see all people, all people, Go and make disciples of all nations. God has a heart for all people. He's in, that's, what he's, that's who he's seeking to rescue. And he's invited us as his people into that process.
Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. And not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love, this is very cool section of verses because it says, it talks about work three times. It talks about work three times. First it says, you can't be saved by your work or your works or your good deeds. No matter how high you stack your good deeds up, they, do, they will never cancel what our sin has done to Christ, what our sin has done to God. And so there's no way of doing more good than bad and that makes you right with God. And so that's, that. you say, well, that's discouraging. Well, actually, when you put it in the total picture, it's actually, it makes it better. Because God is offering us a gift. God offers us a gift. His rescue is a gift. It's not an earned thing. And the outcome of that is that when you receive it, you can't boast. You can't be arrogant about it. You can't be, if you're a Christian, you can't say, oh, man. Look at those other people. Not like me. No. If you are right with God, it's because of what God did. It's because of his grace, his mercy. It's totally undeserved. It can't be earned. It's a gift. So all you can do is be grateful. All you can do is receive it. All you can do is respond. So that's the only way to receive his gift is... It's just to receive it. So it's not by works, so no one can boast. You can't earn it. But then it goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork. Here's the work word again. So what's the work God did? Well, he created us. He made us. And the context of this gives us an idea that he made us different. He made us unique. He made us with a plan. He designed you in such a way that you would be useful to him. That's what it says. He said, we are God's handiwork. We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's the last works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we're not saved by our works, but we are saved for works. We're saved from something, and we are saved for something. You have a part to play that God designed you for and that God planned in advance for you to do. All God's people have a part to play, and all God's people need to be equipped to play their part. So we have a part in this mission that God has given us. Every one of us does. And then when the mission is being fulfilled, what's the payback? What's the great outcome? What's the thing that we're going to be so pumped about when we succeed at, in, in partnership with God in this mission? 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 to 20 uh, gives a bit of a hint. It says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? What's going to be the big thing we're focused on? What's going to be the big thing we're so happy about? What's going to be the thing we're going to celebrate and celebrate and celebrate and celebrate? It says, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So this is 1 Thessalonians written, I believe, by Paul to the people in Thessalonica. And he's writing to them. He's saying, you know what? What I'm going to be so excited when I'm in the presence of God when I die and be with him, you know what's going to be, make me so happy? You know what's going to be my joy in that moment? It's going to be the fact that you were brought into relationship with God through the work that God planned for me to do and, and other partners had planned for us to do. That's going to be my joy. I'm not going to be up there thinking about my house or my car or my career or my bank account. 
or how far my kids got in playing hockey. None of those are bad things. But what's going to be my joy in the presence of God? It's going to be the people that came with me. It's going to be people I played a role in, play, in bringing with me. But you are my joy, he said. You know, I believe for many of us today, there are people you don't even know yet. They're going to, they are going to, that they're going to be your joy when you stand before God. Can you get your head around that and get your heart around that? There's people you haven't met yet, maybe, that you're going to stand in front of God someday and you're going to say, my heart is bursting because this person's here with me. And God, this is a gift from you, but you invited me to be a partner with you, to play my role, to do the good works you had in mind for me to do in advance so that this day could happen, so that this person could be here too. So again, back to our mission statement. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. God is wanting to take people out. He's wanting to take a people for himself out of the world. The Bible has lots of phrases for this or pictures. You're reaping a harvest or fishing for men. Jesus used that one. And he, the second part, the maturity part, is he's preparing them. He's preparing them for his future world. And so there's lots of images for that. The image in Ephesians 4 of a body growing. Uh, the one in 1 Corinthians 3, which talks about the, the, a building being constructed. Or uh, the one that's often used, a bride making herself ready. These are all sort of things we are familiar with, but they're used in the Bible to talk about people who, who come to know Jesus and then grow and become more and more like Jesus. They become mature. And you know what? Here's the realization that has become more and more clear to me, and I got a bit an extra jolt of it recently. Our staff team has been watching... Uh, a series of videos called, it's called Interface. Uh, that may not mean anything, but basically it's just sort of helping leaders really get a heart for the mission of Jesus and get it clearer and clearer. And it became much clearer for me just in the last couple of weeks. And I've been sort of, this idea has been in my head for many years, but I don't think it's, it's gotten as clear as it just did recently. Way back when, uh, there's a program called Street Invaders where they train uh, teenagers to go out and share their faith. And... Uh, so it's great. You say, well, that's great. It was a great evangelism program that they had and that, that still operates. And I, I played a role in it as an adult leader a couple times through the years. And um, I was thought, this is great. This is an evangelism program. But you know what I noticed is whenever they would, the leadership would talk about it, they'd say, actually, this is a discipleship program. We're training people to be disciples. And I said, well, it seems more like an evangelism program. And they said, no, this is discipleship through evangelism. Evangelism, winning other people to Christ, is the means of these kids becoming followers of Jesus with all their heart, with all their, who they are. So that thought has sort of been there for many years, but I heard it even clearer for me recently, and that was through this interface course. And this was the idea. It was that when you aim at mission, you get maturity too. When you aim at mission, you get maturity too. Now, I want to say this is a bit of a contrast to, I think, a lot of times how we've thought in the church and even as I've thought for many years. I think we've thought that as you aim at maturity, then you'll naturally flow into mission. And I would say that I don't have a lot of confidence in that process as much. Because I think what happens to us is we say, well, I want to mature. You know, I'm not ready to reach my neighbors or to tell people about Jesus because I haven't got my devotional life together. Or I haven't, you know, my prayer life isn't right where I, I want to read the Bible more. Until I sort of get into that habit, I don't think I'm really ready. And so there's a lot of ways in which we're not ready, we're not ready, we're not ready. But I think the enemy likes to play this game with us so that we're never ready. And so then Street Invaders years ago was sort of saying, who are you? I'm a 13-year-old kid. When did you give your life to Christ? Two weeks ago. You're ready. You're ready. We're going to thrust you out into the mission. What do I tell people? What do you know? I just knew I needed Jesus. That's good. Whatever the problem is, I just know the answer is Jesus. You're ready. 
Go. You know what you're going to run into? Opportunities to grow. You say, I just told someone about Jesus, and yeah, it was great, and uh, I think I was a little confused about the whole thing. i, I got to get clear on this, but now you've got the motivation. This works in real life. You've, have you ever been in a classroom, and it's a mixed group? Like, this is probably post-secondary stuff, but you're in a mixed group. And in the group are people who are taking the class to get the credit. And also in the people are people who are taking the class so they can succeed in the skills they need for the job. If you've ever been in that environment, it's very interesting. Because this group says, will this be on the test? And this group says, okay, when I'm in the oil field, how do I operate that steam valve that you're talking about? You know, that kind of thing. It's different. These ones, maybe they've, they've taken an internship or they've maybe actually been on the job. Or they apprentice in somewhere. Maybe it's a co-op program. And they understand the right questions to ask because of their experience. Because they're, they're going to apply it right away. For those who haven't been in the, in the field or doing this thing, it's a little more theoretical. And there's some ways in which they're thinking, well, I just want to get the credit so that I'm worthy to, you know, so I qualify to get this job. It's on my resume. But these people are saying, help me. I've had... I've had experience, I run into troubles, and I know exactly the areas I need help in. And that's how it is when we embrace mission. We embrace mission, we enter into it, we're telling people about Jesus as best we can, and we run into things like, man, I better up the ampage in my prayer life because I think some of these obstacles can only be moved by prayer. I better get into the Bible. They asked me a question I know the answer to. I better go find that out. I better invite other people to partner with me in this because I think it's going to take a team to bring this person into the kingdom and for them to experience all that God has for them. So aim at mission and you get maturity. Two birds with one stone. Mark 8, 34 to 35 says, Then he called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So if you want to have a life with God, then jump into the game with God. Jump into the mission with God. Take up your cross. Follow him. If you want to have a life, lose. Give up the one you already have and embrace the one that he has for you. Embrace his mission. So as a church, we, we need to organize around mission. We need to organize around mission. I mean, the church is only here because of mission. At one time, God spoke to O.J. Lovick. Leave Regina. Go to Moose Jaw. Oh, no, God, not that wicked city. He was way ahead of his time. He didn't know that we'd be Canada's most notorious city. He didn't know that yet. But he knew it was wicked. It had a reputation. Not Moose Jaw. It's funny. I was just thinking about this today. OJ, our OJ, and OJ Simpson had something in common. When it came time to face the music, they both ran away. (laughs) Now, I don't think uh, OJ Lovick had a Ford Bronco, but... This church exists because of mission. God said, I'm, it's great what you've established in Regina. It's great what you're doing in Regina. Yes, it is a great work. It was an incredible great work. Leave it. Leave it. I want you in Moose Jaw because I want to do a great work in Moose Jaw. So we exist because of mission. Someone came on a mission. And we also exist for mission. The mission of God in our community. I mean, there's lots of different ways this mission is expressed. Because we gather, right? So there's a gathered mission. When this whole series about share the work, it it emphasizes quite a bit on our, our gathered mission. Like, when someone's up here and they're talking and they share the gospel, 
Even just the simple opportunity to pray. Do you partner with that moment? Do you feel like in that moment, do you, do you sort of hold your breath a little bit and think about who might be watching this online or who might be watching this or who might be here in the house? And do you hold your breath a little bit and just pray and say, God, would you help that person be ready to respond? Would you speak to people who maybe they're just, they're just a moment away from becoming your son or your daughter? Would you help the guy who's up here talking at the end of his message to have clear thoughts? Do you partner in that moment? We're on a mission together. We're the, as the gathered church, we, we have a mission together. There are some people, I totally believe, there's some people that it's going to take the triangulation of many people for them to come into the kingdom. And look at what we have. We have each other. We have the body of Christ. And so some people that I might play a part in reaching somebody that you'll play a major part and I'll play a minor part. Or vice versa. Who knows? There might be people you haven't even met here in the church that they'll play a part. Maybe they are trying to reach the same person you're trying to reach and you'll find out along the way that God has actually, he's put the pieces together to make it work. So there's our gathered mission, but there's also a scattered mission. Like the church is a place where we can help each other in what we're doing outside of the church, right? So whatever, it's the teaching here, it's the equipping here, it's the encouragement here that helps you when you go out. You say, well, I, I'm, uh, there's someone in my family I want to reach, and I don't, you know, they live far away. I don't know if anyone from this church will ever meet them. But hopefully the church will be that support to you, that training for you, that development for you so that you can be effective and you're reaching out to someone like that. So there's a gathered, gathered mission together that we do as a team. There's a scattered mission that we support. And there's new frontiers of mission. There's new frontiers of mission that need to be opened up. Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night at the annual meeting, I'm going to introduce three new missions partners for Hillcrest Church. We've taken about a year to think about it. And um, all three of these missions partners are going to unreached people groups. So, they, I mean, Canada, in a sense, is reached. In other words, there's an established church here that is full of Canadians. Many churches across our country. There are parts in the world where there's no established indigenous church. So we still need people to go there. In fact, those people who study missions, they say there's about 16,000 people groups in the world. We're not just, you know, there's 200 some countries, but there's 16,000 people groups in the ethnic groups in the world. And about half of them, roughly, I think, well, a little less than half, 7,000 of them are considered unreached or maybe the least reached, sort of in those categories of there's, there's really not an established, established indigenous church that can actually evangelize in that community and, and bring people to Christ. So there's a need for us to, um, to send, to send people on mission. And tomorrow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that at the annual meeting. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little shy of sharing it this morning. And the reason is because when people go to unreached people groups, there's probably a re- sometimes there are reasons why they're unreached. They're a little bit trickier. So you don't talk about things as, as publicly when you're doing these things. But we are sending out, we are going to be partnering with the sending out of three new missions, uh, missions partners tomorrow, and, and I'd be happy to share that at the annual meeting with you, the, the details of that. But we're excited about that. We're excited about that because we believe that's part of our mission together is not our gathered and scattered mission here in Moose Jaw, but there is a need, a great need, for people to go to all sorts of corners of this globe because there are groups of peoples who don't have the hope of the gospel. And there's a need for people to leave it all and to go. And we're going to celebrate and invest in that as a church. And we'll, you'll hear more about that at the annual meeting tomorrow. This is my last scripture I'll share, I think. Second Corinthians five seventeen to 20. 
It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, the new creation has come. God has he's made you new. Jesus said, you must be born again. You're born once. You were cute. But you were born into sin. You were born with a sin nature. You are born to live for yourself and not to live for God. Because of what you had inherited through Adam and Eve's original sin, you were born into sin and you need to be born again into God. Each of us needs that. So the new creation, that's what we're talking about, that being reborn. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God. It's a gift. He reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he not only reconciled us, but then he deputized us to bring reconciliation to others. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's his rescue mission. Not counting people's sins against them. That's how forgiving he is. No matter what you've done, against God and against other people, he is willing to forgive. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation. Don't trust in your works. Your good deeds are not enough to save you. But what Jesus has done is enough to save you. And you've got to trust in what he did for you. Him going to the cross and taking on himself the blame, the shame of all the sins you've ever committed, all the sins of the world. And trusting in the work that he's done. And the evidence that that sacrifice, that his death was enough for your sins is that three days later he rose again. So he's committed to us this message of reconciliation to call people to trust in Jesus. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, today could be your day. There's no reason why today couldn't be the day where you begin, you trust him with your life. Acts 2.21 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's really what we're doing. I mean, you don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to understand everything. You just have to know that you're a sinner and you need someone to save you. And the only one that can possibly do that, and the one who did step forward to do that, was Jesus. And then he wants to free you from living for self to a life of living for God. It's not just that he, he does want to take away the, the, the separation between you. He wants to bring you back into relationship. But he also wants to set you free from the slavery of selfishness in your life. That power at work in you. Sometimes you go, man, I don't do what I know what is right to do. What's wrong with me? We all have that experience. That is the human condition. And he wants to make you his own and then bring you through a journey of transformation so that more and more you become like him, laying down your life for others, giving yourself sacrificially in love for others, and selfishness in you dying bit by bit by bit because you're on a journey with him and he's bringing transformation to those areas you couldn't change on your own. So he loves you. You are so loved by God. He wants you to be part of his spiritual family. He wants you to be his son or his daughter forever. God's intention for you is to have forever friendship with God. To be with him forever. And he'll always be for you and not against you. And because God wants to do that in your life, what's required of you is simply to come to repent and believe. Repent means turn away from whatever it is that you, you once 
You know, if you held on to, I'll be good enough. I'll prove myself enough. I'll earn my way. Turn away from that. Change your mind about that. Reject that. It can't save you. But he can. And he offers his salvation as a gift. And what you do with the gift is you just receive it. Just receive it with gratitude. Just receive it with rejoicing. Whether you receive it with laughter or receive it with tears, just receive it. And he will make you his own. Let me just offer a prayer that you could pray in the sincerity of your own heart. It could be a prayer you'd pray every day of your life, but for some of you, it would be a prayer you're praying to make, to clarify your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, a good friend of mine, Rob Chartrand, I was told recently that he leads a church in Edmonton. He's a great leader and, and um, one of my college buddies from way back when. But he said, I heard recently that he ends every church service in his church with this benediction. And so I'm going to leave you with this benediction today. You are God's people, made for God's mission. So go be who 